leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Tom Frieden, after eight years of running the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, is turning his sights to global health. Frieden has set a goal of saving 100 million lives from cardiovascular disease in low- and middle-income countries by applying proven strategies used in developed countries. His program, Resolve to Save Lives, an initiative of vital strategies, will also work to prevent infectious disease epidemics and pandemics by strengthening public health systems in these nations. We spoke to Frieden about the initiative, whether strategies that worked in the developed world can be translated to low- and middle-income countries, and what it'll take to be successful. Tom, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. We're going to talk about your organization, Resolve to Save Lives, an initiative of vital strategies, how the organization is seeking to apply proven strategies to address cardiovascular disease in low- and middle-income countries, and its other major initiative aimed at preventing outbreaks of infectious diseases by strengthening public health systems. Perhaps you can begin with how Resolve to Save Lives came about. As I was getting ready to leave my position as director of the Centers for Disease uh, Control and Prevention, I wondered what can I do next that would save the most lives? And I had the unique opportunity to survey really the entire landscape of public health and identify these two areas that are at a tipping point. If we are successful, uh, the world will look back in 10 or 20 years and see this as an inflection point where we went from making very slow progress in these two areas to making rapid progress. Working with a non-governmental organization, we have the ability to work fast, flexibly, and at scale. And we really do hope that we will be able to save 100 million lives and make the world safer from epidemics. And what makes this a tipping point? For each of these two areas, preventing epidemics and preventing heart attacks and strokes, it's not about discovering new things. It's about applying what works and making that available to people all over the world so that people in Africa, India, and China, and elsewhere can benefit from the things that have been saving lives uh, in the U.S. and Europe for the last 50 years. And how is Resolve to Save Lives funded, and what's its relationship with Vital Strategies? 
we have generous funding from Mike Bloomberg and Bloomberg Philanthropies, from Priscilla Chan and Mark Zuckerberg at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, and from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our funding is $225 million over five years. We're very grateful to them. They are going to allow us to tip the scales toward health in this critically important time. Resolve to Save Lives is an initiative of Vital Strategies, which is a great home for us. Vital Strategies has offices in more than 60 countries and really an inspiring mission, envisioning a world where everyone is protected by a strong public health system. Vital Strategies works both on public health issue, issues such as road safety as well as treatment issues such as improving maternal outcomes from childbirth. And how big a public health threat is cardiovascular disease today? Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally. More people die every year from heart disease and stroke than from any other cause. Nearly 18 million deaths a year. About one in every three deaths is from cardiovascular disease. And while you might think this is mostly about people who are older, in fact, in low- and middle-income countries, about half of the deaths are in working-age adults. We're seeing a terrible burden of cardiovascular disease, and yet of all of the dollars that go into global health, less than 1% goes to prevent cardiovascular disease. These diseases, though, are largely preventable with uh, tools, medicines, interventions that are low-cost, effective, and well-proven to work. As I think about the trends in low- and middle-income countries, things like urbanization and rising incomes and changing diets, it would seem like there's a, a threat of cardiovascular disease worsening in these parts of the world. Are, are lifestyle factors driving this, and, and is this more of a challenge right now than it would have been for you 10 years ago? I think the biggest challenge is to uh, scale up the things that work that we know work. Uh, it is true that obesity is increasing around the world, that urbanization is increasing, and that can cut both ways in terms of urbanization. People can get more access to care, more access to healthier foods, but this also relies on our ensuring that healthcare systems are accountable. Controlling high blood pressure is quite possibly the single most important thing that a healthcare system can do for adults, and yet in the U.S., we only get that right only a little bit over half of the time. And globally, only 14% of people with high blood pressure have it under control. And for many countries in Africa, that number is around 1%. So here we are with a, a readily controllable condition. Uh, medicines are inexpensive, they're safe, they're effective, they're generic, and yet people aren't getting them. So what we need to do is make sure that as we develop, as we urbanize, as diets change, we have health in mind and maximizing health. There's no reason, for example, that artificial trans fat should be in any food, and yet it is, and because of that, over 500,000 people die each year. Well, you mentioned a, a three-pronged approach to addressing cardiovascular disease. Walk us through that. So our, our riddle here is when does 50 plus 30 plus zero equal 100, and that is when you can increase blood pressure control from 14 to 50%, you can reduce sodium by 30%, and you can get to zero trans fat. If you can do those three things, we can save 100 million lives over a 30-year period. 
High blood pressure kills more people than all infectious diseases combined, and treatment is low-cost and simple. Uh, we're very excited about uh, countries around the world being interested in scaling up hypertension treatments. High sodium increases the risk of heart disease and stroke, and reducing sodium is a best buy. For every dollar spent on sodium reduction, $19 could be saved. And trans fat is a toxic chemical. It increases the risk of heart attack and causes over 500,000 deaths a year, and yet it can be completely eliminated without increasing the cost or changing the taste or making uh, delicious food less available. Trans fat wasn't available 50 years ago, and uh, there's no reason it should continue to be available now that we understand that it is, it is a dangerous chemical in our food. You've called these proven solutions for preventing heart attack and stroke. Are they proven in less developed parts of the world? How do you export what's worked here and apply it to countries with different healthcare structures where there may be issues about access to medicines, where education or, or cultural issues may be barriers to this effort? The basic principles are the same all over the world, but how they get applied very much depends on the local context. So, for example, if you take sodium reduction, in China, most of the sodium gets added uh, as people are cooking. That's very different from the U.S., where most of the sodium gets added by restaurants or during processed food packaging. That means that the interventions have to be different. Uh, but when it comes to treatment of high blood pressure, there's no reason this can't be done in every country of the world. We've seen pilot projects in several countries work very effectively to scale up treatment. The medicines are inexpensive. Um, there are challenges in different parts of the world. Uh, in some countries, there is a very vibrant private sector in healthcare that may have very low quality. So how do you get good quality treatment done in the private sector? That's something that has to be sorted through. The application of these principles is going to be different in different countries, but the principles are the same just as human beings are the same all around the world. You've got a very big ambitions, but a, a small staff. What's the approach you're taking? How do you do this with a staff of 15 people and save 100 million lives? And to what extent will you be working with other organizations to leverage what you've got? We have a fantastic team. We have great staff who have wonderful expertise in scaling up effective programs. Just as importantly, we work with partner organizations. First off, we're housed at Vital Strategies. Vital Strategies works in more than 60 countries. They have more than 100 staff embedded in health departments around the world. We have the unique privilege of being both a funder and an implementer. So we're implementing things directly, but we're also funding the World Health Organization, the World Bank, the CDC Foundation, the Johns Hopkins, Bloomberg School of Public Health, and others. And their expertise allows us to achieve real synergies in rapidly scaling up effective programs. Resolve to Save Lives is also working to prevent epidemics by strengthening public health systems and low- and middle-income countries, so countries have the ability to find, stop, and, and prevent health threats before outbreaks get out of control. While you were in charge of CDC, you saw a number of infectious disease outbreaks. Among those were MERS, Zika, Ebola. As you look back at those experiences, what were the public health gaps that became evident? Ebola was a terrible epidemic. Uh, not only did over 10,000 people die from Ebola, but 
an even larger number of people died from malaria, uh, complications of childbirth, tuberculosis, HIV, vaccine-preventable diseases, because the health care systems in those countries really were shut by the Ebola epidemic. Uh, I visited West Africa at the height of the Ebola epidemic, and I uh, went to one of the Ebola treatment units, and I saw a young boy sitting on a rickety chair. He was probably 12 years old, maybe a little older, and he had Ebola. He was desperately dehydrated, and there were so many patients and just one doctor for over 100 patients with Ebola, and they weren't able to start an intravenous line on him to give him hydration. He had a little plastic bottle of rehydration fluid next to him, and I pleaded with him, please drink all of this you can, because that would make the difference between life and death for him. And I am committed to doing everything I can to preventing something like Ebola from happening again. Too few countries have the ability to prevent an epidemic, even after the lessons we learned during Ebola. It's crucially important that we continue to build systems around the world. This is in everybody's best interest. We can't stop, we can't protect people in any one country by just improving the system in that country. We're all connected by the air we breathe. It's very easy for diseases to spread from a plane ride or a shipment of food or even an animal that gets imported. So this is why it's so important that every country in the world become better prepared for disease outbreaks. And that means improving our ability to find threats when they first emerge, to stop them promptly, and to prevent them wherever possible. As with cardiovascular disease, global trends are, are fueling the threat of infectious disease epidemics and, and pandemics. This is, includes globalization, climate change, urbanization, deforestation, and other developments that are increasing the risk. As you think of these risks, do we need better detection, better responses, or, or better communication? We need all of the above. There's a really important new tool called the Joint External Evaluation that helps countries identify gaps in preparedness. Some countries have really big gaps, uh, but every country can do better. The areas you've mentioned are key. So better detection. So we find threats promptly when they first emerge. Better responses. So we stop them when they're outbreaks before they become epidemics. And better prevention so that wherever possible, we prevent something from becoming an outbreak or an epidemic. And, of course, better communication. So we're able to inform people of what steps they can take to prevent themselves, to protect themselves. And we're also able to do a better job communicating with people who are at risk of diseases so they don't develop those diseases in the future. What are the the limiting issues? Are they diagnostics, infrastructure, protocols, and and how will you address these types of challenges? Um, The biggest gap we face is what I call the implementation gap, the gap between what we know and what we do. The gap between what we know and what we wish we knew, the research gap, is large. But I think the gap between what we know today and what we actually do is even larger. To fill that gap, we need skilled people, trained people, supported people on the front lines, epidemiologists, people who will report diseases and investigate them, uh, people who will uh, improve the vaccination rates of different communities. It's about investing in public health because investing in public health is investing in our communities 
in our families, in our world, and in our future. I, I've seen this described as a five-year initiative. What happens at the end of five years, and, and how do you measure your success? Well, this is the first five years of what I hope will be a long-term um, project. Uh, I hope that these years will show that rapid progress is possible, that at the end of five years we'll have systems in place that are already saving hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives from cardiovascular disease, that systems are in place in countries around the world that are finding and stopping health threats promptly so that outbreaks and epidemics don't occur. I hope this will be the first five years in a very successful effort to help save lives and make the world safer. Tom Frieden, President and CEO of Resolve to Save Lives. Tom, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.